Welcome to the Peds NP, Pearls of Pediatric Evidence-Based Practice. I'm your host, Becky Carson, Clinical Assistant Professor at Catholic University of America in Washington, D.C., and today I want to take a primary care perspective on a problem commonly encountered at well visits, picky eating. The well visit is a time for preventative health. We screen for lots of problems, and it can sometimes be difficult to cover all the topics that seem relevant. It can feel like you're checking boxes. Safety, sleep, elimination, development, nutrition. But it is so much more than that because you're listening for warning signs that the parents aren't picking up on the best way to help their child grow up healthy. One way that I see this come up time and again is picky eating. What's interesting to me about this topic is that nutrition isn't just about what goes into the body and picky eating isn't limited to food selectivity. It involves the mechanics of eating, the skill of feeding, and the culture around the dinner table. I frequently see parents who choose to delay introduction of solid foods until nine months to even a year because they're not interested in the mess that's associated with the purees and they're waiting for more dexterity from their child to begin feeding with a spoon. This is a terrible idea, and these are the kinds of things that we need to ask about in order to better intervene. We're going to cover a lot of these topics today as we explore some of the best ways to assess child nutrition and feeding issues, and then offer some tips that you can use to help parents turn their child into a food connoisseur. Stay tuned. I sat down this week with Dr. Lyles, who is a pediatric gastroenterologist at Duke University. He's also my husband and partner in navigating our own trials and feeding of our two-year-old son. You may remember Dr. Lyles from episode 35 when he joined us to talk about inflammatory bowel disease, but he also cares for a lot of referrals from primary care with children whose picky eating causes a big problem, either in their growth or in the family. Here's what he had to say about feeding. Our topic today Feeding difficulties is very common in pediatrics. It affects up to 20 to 30% of children. And because there's such a wide array of etiologies from picky eating to organic disease, it's really important for providers to accurately assess these complaints with a thorough history and physical. Getting a good H&P is a common theme that I hear from all of our guests on the podcast. So with regards to picky eating in a younger age group, What kinds of history questions are the most important to ask? Well, first, I think it's important to assess whether a patient has a selective behavioral eating disorder or mechanical problem with eating or dysphagia, difficulty swallowing. Feeding is very complex and it requires 30 muscles and nerves to successfully do. But there is a lot of social interaction and culture that surrounds eating you have to figure out where the problem stems from. So you want to look for red flags like extreme self-imposed dietary limitations, changes in growth curve or weight loss, choking or coughing with eating, or even wheezing. Get an idea what the child does eat, their preferences, and what they avoid. Are they avoiding more dense foods? Are they choking or gagging on foods? Or are they simply avoiding green vegetables because they don't taste very good? Dr. Lyles recommended a 24-hour diet recall, or even a list of likes, dislikes, preferences. 
These lists can give you an idea of the types of foods and characteristics that the child prefers and avoids, which can be really helpful in determining junk food taste habits versus a more complex issue like textures and dysphagia. When there are no red flags, you can feel confident that it's just behavioral food selectivity. So then you need to ask about family dynamics of mealtime. When is the meal? Who's there? What are the expectations of the child? And what's meal preparation like? Essentially, you're going to flush out whether the parents are doing all the right things and the child's neophobia, which is a fear of new foods, is totally normal for their age, or whether the parents are actually enabling bad habits that can become more troublesome later. I asked him about a patient I encountered with severe food selectivity. So that actually reminds me of a nine-year-old boy that I saw for constipation and impaction. I was asking questions about his diet, trying to assess his fiber intake and what his water intake was like on a daily basis. And the mom started telling me all about his picky eating. So he had this very restrictive diet. Essentially, he ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at every meal because he didn't want to eat anything else. He didn't want to eat what the family was eating. And mom and dad fed the children while they were sitting at the counter while mom and dad were doing other things like getting lunches ready for the next day. They were preparing an adult meal that the parents ate after the children went to bed at like 8 or 8.30. And then she told me that her perspective was that she felt like it was always okay for him to go make himself a PB&J when he didn't want to eat anything else because that was his choice, that he had made this autonomous decision. But she also wanted to know what she could do to help him diversify his diet because it was starting to impact the family a lot more. What are your thoughts on this? Yikes. Um, There's a lot to unpack there. And I think that certainly very late in the game when we're starting to try and course correct at nine years of age, but certainly not too late. And we can still come back with a, with a great uh, win for the parents. This story is worrisome for some really bad habits. Uh, and there are some principles that parents of young kids can follow to help them be more open to new foods by modeling good habits. So one, it's important to be consistent at mealtimes. And if you can, eat together. Two, understand that you may have to introduce new foods over and over again until they become accepted. Foods must often be offered up to like 15 or 20 times without pressure to achieve acceptance. I tell an antidote in clinic all the time about how a baby bear will need to watch his mom eat new berries multiple, multiple times before they themselves accept it. And it's a self-preservation thing. If mama bear suddenly develops vomiting and diarrhea, that baby knows to avoid that berry. And our children are performing these same behaviors. They're looking out for themselves. But I also wouldn't offer a whole plate of new foods. New foods are more likely to be embraced if they are present on the plate with a lot of familiar foods. You can do other things to make them appealing, like cutting them up into fun shapes, offering them with sauces. There's actually reasoning behind calling celery, peanut butter, and raisins ants on a log because it makes it fun. And three, in older children, 
It can be valuable to get their help with food preparation or shopping. This can help them feel a sense of ownership and understanding behind the mystique of dinner time. Good habits are important, but we also need reasonable expectations of children. They don't have extensive mature palates, and many foods in general can be an acquired taste as you probably learned in your adulthood. Children's taste buds are different from adults. They prefer sweet foods, which attracts them to their mother's milk in infancy. Conversely, they dislike bitter foods that some adults grow to love with age. Your love of dark chocolate and black coffee is the complete opposite phenotype from a child's dislike of vegetables and medicine. It goes back to that self-preservation concept of basic biology, which keeps children from ingesting poisons and toxins. These habits are plastic and ever-changing with our environments. So setting up a child to experience these different foods takes time and patience. Children may also go through food jags, which is completely normal. This is a temporary preference towards eating the same foods over and over without growing tired of them. A lot of this is developmental, going back to the milestone of inserting control and gaining independence in decision-making. But it's important for us to use those tools from Dr. Lyles to keep them in check so that the power struggles don't happen and some degree of variety is present, even if they don't choose it the first one or two dozen times. An ideal parent feeding style is called responsive feeding, where essentially the parent decides when where, and what the child will eat, and the child decides how much. Here's what Dr. Lyles had to say about responsive feeding and some of the other less positive parent feeding styles. So that first style you mentioned is called responsive feeding, and that is a really great parenting style because it guides the child's eating instead of controlling it. It results in a lot of food positivity that can lead to an increased acceptance of fruits, vegetables, and dairy with less junk food overall. Their kids also tend to have a better relationship with food regarding recognizing satiety and are less likely to become overweight. The example you give about the mom with PB&J at every meal um, is an example of indulgent parenting style. These parents cater to the child and give them whatever they want. Two other harmful parenting styles are neglectful feeders. This is like the parent bottle propping their infant. He grows into a toddler that has to fend for himself. And this can be associated with both failure to thrive or risk of obesity. And the last style is controlling, which is the parent that requires the clean plate club or eat canned asparagus at the dinner table before you get up club. It may initially seem effective, but the methods are counterproductive, ultimately. I hate canned asparagus. Uh, there's something that you're really big about uh, around our dinner table, and I'm wondering whether there's any evidence in the literature to support it. You're very big on our little boy sitting down to eat and not coming back and forth to the table to graze between bouts of play. And... I'm very supportive of this because I don't want food all over our living room furniture, but tell us how does this play into this consistency concept? For sure. There's definitely literature on it. Benny Kersner from Children's National in their paper 
uh, called The Practical Approach to Classifying and Managing Feeding Difficulties. Talked about how it's really important for all children to avoid distraction during mealtimes. This means like no phones, screens at all at the table, which is also good advice for our, us grown-ups too. Sitting at the table is time for eating, so parents should also limit the meal time to like 20 to 30 minutes. That doesn't mean that the kids should go hungry, because there should also be two to three snacks during the day. But this style does encourage hunger as opposed to a constant grazing. It's a difficult balance to strike because we want children to feed themselves. So often bite-sized handheld foods are great. But it's also important for parents to be willing to accept an age-appropriate mess. Positive reinforcement can also be an effective tool at encouraging kids to try new foods. For example, when our son tried spaghetti with meat sauce for the first time, we clapped and cheered for him. And because children seek attention in any form, he repeated the behavior and took another bite. So we cheered again. He didn't eat the entire portion that was on his plate, but it was the first time that he had tried that new food after having it on his plate three or four times. And now he's had a positive experience with it. We finished up our conversation by talking about some more severe presentations of the food selectivity spectrum. And we've talked a lot about picky eating that's mild and picky eating is typically transient, right? You grow out of it. But what about those children with food intake disorders like sensory issues, autism, or severe food selectivity? What can we do for those patients from a primary care perspective? That's a good question. But I think what is really important is to recognize that everything we've talked about so far is based in primary care. Nothing is specialized about helping parents transition from breastfeeding or bottle feeding in infancy to introducing complementary foods through purees and, and table foods at six months through the child themselves becoming more engrossed in complementary foods, weaning off the breast or, or weaning from bottles, and then progressing to table foods where we have three meals a day and a couple snacks with a variety of foods. All of that is primary care driven. You have built-in appointments with these families at four months, six months, nine months, 12 months, where this is prime time to talk about feeding development. So preventative care in, in feeding development and feeding disorders is really important. But for those children with food intake disorders like sensory issues or autism or severe food selectivity, typically a multidisciplinary approach is needed. This involves behavioral therapists, dietitians, gastroenterologists, speech or occupational therapists, to work on feeding therapy. This is important because we can focus on the dynamics of eating, the social interactions of eating, focus on make sure that the micro and macro nutrients are there while helping to support the family in general. I had a patient when I was a fellow who was admitted for neurologic reasons. And what it all boiled down to, and when we got involved, was that we had a 14-year-old who had essentially not grown since he was eight. And so all of his issues, whether it be you know, repeated infections, 
diminished eyesight, difficulty with hearing, sensory issues in terms of like proprioception, all of that was related to his micro and macronutrient deficiencies, which with time we helped correct and he was able to regain some of his um, deficits, but it was it was very challenging. So why did he have all of those deficits? Why was he, was he food selective or did he have a more organic underlying disorder? He had developed a severe selective behavioral eating that was mainly due to having a brother with autism who also had severe selective eating um, issues. And he essentially lived off of French fries and pudding and developed vitamin A deficiency, riboflavin deficiency, he had some carnitine deficiencies and vitamin D deficiencies, and overall had severe protein calorie malnutrition as well. That's wild because it's like his brother was the one with the autism, but his was more of like maybe monkey see, monkey do meets control. So what can the primary care provider do? Well, going back to Kersner et al., they tell us that the primary care provider needs a systematic approach that is straightforward and easy to use. Because parents first seek guidance in the primary care setting, your evaluation needs to integrate both organic and behavioral perspectives while accounting for a wide spectrum of severity that both the child and parent display. And as you offer advice, remember to individualize the recommendations specifically to the child's behavior and the parent's feeding practices. Don't be afraid to refer severe feeding difficulties to specialists that can work as a multiplicitary team to guide interventions. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I really appreciate you taking our daily dinner conversations and putting them to a podcast. Thank you again for having me, Dr. Carson. It's been a great honor and privilege to talk to you professionally on a subject that we bring up a lot at the dinner table. Again, that was John Lyles, pediatric gastroenterologist from Duke University. I hope that you'll like, comment, and subscribe to the Peds NP, where we focus on a practical application of evidence-based practice. There's no financial support or conflict of interest in this or any episode of the Peds NP. You can see show notes and references at www.thepedsnp.com. Remember that this isn't just a podcast. You're helping kids grow up healthy. I'm Becky Carson. Take care.